So whenever you were supposed to scream in the movie, there were buzzers hidden in the seats that would shake everyone and force them to scream. This sounds like an old supervillain. Watch out, Kinda. children! Percepto is loose! He's the most fun Lex Luthor. Uh, 13 ghosts <laughs> had Illusiono, so everyone had uh, special 3D glasses with red and blue filters. <laughs> no, not and the Percepto would... and Illusiono team! Superman the is doomed! Illusiono tag team. Uh, so if you wanted to see the ghosts, you would... Uh, look through the red filters because they would bring out the ghostly images and the blue filters were supposed to hide them because the ghosts were printed on like blue ink or whatever on the film. Uh, homicidal. There was a one minute fright break. So during that one minute countdown, Cass would advise the audience that anyone who is too scared to see the, the ending of the film should go to the lobby and get their money back. But if they did, they had to sit in the coward's corner until the film ended and the audience walked past them to make fun of them. Uh, anyone sitting in the coward's corner was forced to sign a yellow card stating, I am a bona fide coward. Uh, assuming that was like on your permanent record, like uh, your principal. Bona fide. <laughs> there needs to be more shame based movie marketing, I feel, especially <laughs> for. I agree 100%. It's really missing these days. Uh, mind you, all the ones I just listed were in the span of 1958 to 1961. This was not a long period of time where he's throwing these out. Uh, Mr. Sardonicus, also 1961, had a section where the audience voted in a punishment poll if they wanted to see the bad guy cured or if they wanted to see the bad guy died. And you were given a card with a glow-in-the-dark thumb that would either hold thumbs up or thumbs down, depending on your vote. Uh, this was, of course, rigged, and they never filmed the ending where the bad guy survived. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Sardonicus, spoilers, always dies in the movie. That's cold-blooded. <laughs> 13 Frightened Girls. I think this is my favorite one. I've never known about this in the past, though. Uh, audiences were given lickable lottery cards for a chance to win a prize. I don't know what this has to do with 13 Frightened Girls. <laughs> you think we want to know. On that one. I've seen that movie. I don't know where they had a spot where they're like, everyone needs a lickable lottery card. How does that work? Like, if your lottery card tastes like cinnamon, you get a prize? <laughs> Isn't every lottery card lickable, really? <laughs> Isn't anything are, lickable but... if you're dedicated? <laughs> right. Right. This is more of a Bernie Boss thing. Like, oh, mine tastes like earwax. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Like, how do you judge this? Do you take it up to the lobby and they also have to look at it? And be like, oh, that's definitely uh, bananas. Yes, you win. I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> I, I just imagine like some Ralph Wiggum kid being like, "Mine gave me cancer." <laughs> <laughs> I just. That one I love, but I don't understand. Um, straight jacket. Uh, this one's pretty straightforward. Cardboard axes were handed out to the entire audience. Because <laughs> why not? You want to give everyone fake weapons when you're in the theater. That goes over well. Uh, and finally, the last one they have listed, 1965, I saw what you did. The back row of the theater was hooked up with shock sections. So <laughs> apparently seatbelts were installed to keep patrons from being jolted out of their seats. <laughs> I hope nobody had a pacemaker. That might be the reason why this is the last one listed. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably killed a few people. It seems that William Castle disappeared in exile <laughs> several days after this. Fucking William Castle sounds like if H. H. Holmes became a movie producer. <laughs> you know, it's just murdering people in Chicago. Everyone has to have a hobby. That was the tragedy of Holmes. He wasn't a showman. <laughs> 
Yeah, that crematorium really just needed some more cardboard axes and lickable lottery tickets. God, I never really thought about that, though. If like Where Holmes fucked up was he killed the, the victim. If you did all that, but you walked away, they would put their money up front. I just want to pause and reflect on that statement. Where H.H. H. Holmes fucked up was killing his victims. <laughs> Thank you, Prime McGruff, for solving the case. <laughs> I'm just imagining this is Holmes in court and just his lawyer like, now my client here's the only mistake is he murdered those poor women and children. <laughs> he tries to get him off on manslaughter. <laughs> Look, I swear, my client is spooky. That's it. He's not a killer. He's just spooky. And does not know how to design a theme park correctly. He's just spooky. What, he has like the Raven Syndrome? <laughs> I am sad Holmes's uh, defense wasn't, I didn't kill anybody, the house <laughs> killed everybody. I was going to see the direction you go with that, like, Holmes says, I didn't kill anybody, and then he spins around in his chair, and he spins back around, and he's now wearing a wig, and he's like, Mother did it! And then immediately gets thrown in the nut house as he's got a knife. <laughs> he was setting, he was, he was breaking new ground, and really, he didn't even have a good defense. It's a shame. The guy had so many avenues he could have explored and been the first. He could have been a pioneer for murder. <laughs> pioneer for murder. The Cody Alf story. <laughs> I'm a little sad we don't have any way to shoehorn that into the episode. But none of that <laughs> I'm is really just... sad the recorder's not on. My, I recorded all of that, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank That's God. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad it's two days in a row we've somehow turned William Castle into some kind of weird... <laughs> ghostly poltergeist. <laughs> Carter, if you were wondering, this is why Box Office Pulp is a weird show. <laughs> I love it. It's supposed to be about movies, I think, at some point. I mean, Castle's tangentially related. He made some films. <laughs> In addition to all those murders. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Those were all the deleted scenes from Matinee, where John Goodman's strangling hookers and stuff in the back of the theater for ambiance. <laughs> oh, God. There is that admittedly stupid but cool theory that Jack the Ripper went to America and became H.H. H. Holmes. What if Holmes just got that uh, henchman he had to pose as him during the trial, and Holmes <laughs> shaved his mustache and became a film director? I don't think the right. timelines quite line up. But I okay. don't no, care. Fuck, he's immortal. <laughs> just he's immortal. Let's, let's just go. With he's immortal. I love this idea. William Castle is the greatest mass murderer America has ever seen. That was his final gimmick. <laughs> you know, after saying no, 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 it can't be his last can, gimmick uh, unless it's got a catchy name. It's got to be like Murdero or something fun. <laughs> Murdero. The Identimatron. Slaughterorama. We can use more. File that away for later. All right, I think I'm at a castle joke, so if we want to actually start working our way towards the episode. Uh, <laughs> Thank God we besmirched the uh, name of William Castle yet again. Yet again. Yeah. I'm expecting can, a lawsuit any day from his estate. I can cross that off my bucket list now. <laughs> I've had him on my shit list for decades. He's had it too good for too long. <laughs> right. No one has bashed that man and drug him through the, the Rose Garden yet. I'm glad we could. The tingler my ass. <laughs> Scream! <laughs>
I, I honestly would love it though if like Hereditary just stopped halfway through and they just walked out and commanded everyone to scream. <laughs> I had a good time anyways, but if they just ruined the atmosphere for that, I'd just <laughs> I'd have to buy two copies of the movie. <laughs> Alright. Uh is everyone all set then? I'm, I'm ready. Oh good. And let's crack this open. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Box Office Pulp, your one podcast stop for movies, madness, moxie, and tonight. Monsters. Lots and lots and lots of monsters, because we're talking The Cabin in the Woods. I'm Cody, and joining me tonight are Mike, Jamie, and a longtime friend of the show, first-time caller, author, film journalist, horror aficionado, uh, and I want to note, not a member of the Virginia House Delegates for the 50th District, <laughs> Carter Lee. <laughs> Wait, that, what? That's, the, that's my favorite title, the last one. I actually, I, I looked this up, like, I went to your website, and I noticed you had a wiki page. I'm like, oh, that's curious, and I clicked on it, and it turns out there's actually someone who's a member of the Virginia House of Delegates for the 50th District named Carter Lee. <laughs> wow. So I, I don't want anyone to assume we're in putting more politics into box office pulp. Uh, clearly, I prepared for the wrong podcast. Exactly. This one's about to get political. The monsters are Republicans. Fight me. <laughs> This will be a quick show. <laughs> I, I agree. Next topic. Okay. Well, everyone go home. We, uh, we've solved that mystery. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. Good to hear your voice. <laughs> so this seems uh, a little bit of a weird pull. It's Cabin in the Woods. This movie came out. Uh, this blew my mind. 2012. It's hard to believe it's been that long since it came out. God. I feel like this is – it's one of those movies I have on constant rotation in my place. You know, every couple of months I have to watch it again. So the idea it's been that long, very surprising to me. I, uh, I have not been paying attention to the time, apparently. Regardless, though, as far as, as, as far as horror goes, this is one of my all-time favorites. It's absolutely phenomenal. So I will never turn down an opportunity to talk about this movie. So, Carter, I'm glad you decided this was uh, one you wanted to talk about. As, as someone who writes about horror pretty regularly, I assume it's got to be good for you to want to talk about it even more. <laughs> and I, it really is, actually. I've been. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. I I've been really looking forward to this. You know, I, horror is something that I don't get tired of talking about. Probably because I don't have a lot of people I can talk about it to. And um, you know, I, I have a lot of my friends in my circle are casual horror fans. You know, if I ramble on for yeah. longer minutes, they're probably done with the topic. So this is refreshing for me. And I love this movie too. I, this part is part of like the vault I will go to if I'm not sure what I want to watch. You know, there's always like the same seven movies I can put on and be perfectly content. And this is at the top of that list. I, I love this film. It's in my mind uh, to illustrate how much fun this movie is to watch on repeat. When it came out in theaters, my girlfriend at the time and I saw it, we couldn't stop talking about it. Got dinner, talked about it the whole time. And then kind of jokingly, when we woke up the next day, I'm like, hey, you know, we could go see Cameron in the Woods again. Nothing else is going on today. And she immediately said yes, which was amazing <laughs> for a girl who is not into horror films like at all for her to be like, yeah, yeah let's do that. And we, we went back and saw the movie like at the first matinee screening of the day. I ended up it's one of the few times I have seen a movie twice in theaters within 24 hours. Oof. And it's that kind of movie where you ah. don't regret it. It's just that exciting where you got to go back and be like, OK. You pay attention to the left side of the board. I'm going to pay attention to the right side of the board. <laughs> and then when the glass boxes come up, we're just going to shout what's in each box. Go. <laughs> right. I love team viewing. 
you don't get enough of it. But this one, it feels like that'd be a good approach. In theaters, like you, I was really mad I didn't have like a pen and paper with me. As soon as that notebook comes up, it's like, okay, I see zombies, I see uh, Huron, I, I see scarecrows. What else is on there? Keep going, keep going. Right. I would be the guy in the theater shouting out things that were not found in the cute. <laughs> you know, like, Grandma, Forrest Gump. It is kind of amazing. I, I went out and bought the uh, visual companion for the movie. And as you flip through it, you can see all these monster designs that never get close-ups in the film. And any one of these would make its own feature film. There's mm-hmm. one I'm, I'm particularly in love with where it's this corpse, it, like in a, a plastic bag, holding an axe. And it's just a, such a simple idea, but it seems perfect. Like, why isn't there a movie with that guy running around, just like a, a skinny zombie corpse with an axe in a plastic bag? I always thought that was a tribute to American Psycho. It could have been. Oh, um, I could see just that. kind of combining both of, you, you know, you have the dead person in the body bag, you know, his victim in American Psycho, and then if you put him with the suit and the axe and just combine the two, that's what you kind of got. And I always thought maybe that was the idea of Kevin in the film, too. I know a lot of people... Um, <laughs> Point to different references of Kevin, and I always thought maybe that was either Norman Bates or maybe, you know, because a lot of those monsters work for a couple different films. And I thought maybe oh, yeah. have kind of an embodiment of both maybe the Norman Bates character and um, American Psycho Bateman. I never thought of that before. I always assume Kevin was maybe like a, a sly little reference to like Sin City or something. Mm-hmm. But it, it makes for sense because, sure. yeah, the way they do their homages in the film, like uh, <laughs> Jamie mentioned before he jumped on. Uh, Fornicus, the Lord of Bondage and Pain, which is clearly, I mean, it's Pinhead. It's different enough where you realize they're doing something slightly different. You have the, the people in the baby face mask, which are kind of an ape on the strangers. There's a lot of almost references. I think you see the, the tree from Evil Dead at one point ripping a guy apart. And the Deadites are referenced on the chalkboard, and the cabin in the woods itself is a reference to the Evil Dead. Oh, yeah. So. Even the introduction of it is kind of like a low angle, just like in the first Evil Dead movie, where they, they show the cabin for the first time. And you realize the cabin really shouldn't have the number of rooms that they show. <laughs> right. I love that little joke, too. There's also the little girl from the game Fear just in the background doing a scene from the game Fear randomly. During the third act. <laughs> I never noticed that. That's the great part. I mean, even after reading the book, uh, the, the visual companion, I should say, and rewatching the film a couple times and listening to the commentary, you can still find new stuff in this movie if you're paying close attention. That's staggering to me. Most films, like, you can watch once or twice and feel like you've got a good handle on. This one's always got fun little surprises in the background. It really does. I feel like every time I revisit it, I, I learn something new, or it could just be because I'm a big stoner and I forgot and relearned the same thing every time I watch it. Either way, I'm having a blast with this film. And uh, yeah, I agree. I think there's something just uh, new and nerdy every time I watch it. I, I absolutely love it. It's the horror version of like Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. Know, without the spending the money to license everything. I, I would have loved if in Ready Player One it was just cheap knockoffs of every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, that would almost be more entertaining. <laughs> really? Really? Even even the Chucky's a knockoff. It's like a it's... like a Cabbage Patch Chucky mashup. <laughs> it's fucking Doll Boy. <laughs> I like the idea of Doll Boy stabbing people to death and having a big pull string on the back that someone has to yank and a fun catchphrase he has. Something adorable while he's stabbing. I'll be your companion until death. 
<laughs> I like how literal all boys. <laughs> <laughs> He's no bullshit. I like this sensible monster. Right, right, just straightforward. Every third pull of the trigger, he just goes, Don't sue my parent company! <laughs> Is that going to be the Child's Play reboot they're doing? Sensible Chucky. <laughs> I, oh, boy. I don't even want to think about that. It makes me sad. Child's Play is running for so long, and to reboot now, when they're still, like, trying to get that TV series off the ground, they just had Chucky, what, 7 come out last year? Right, and it was, it was a huge hit, I thought. You know, it went yeah. over... I really enjoyed that. That was one of my favorite Chuckies. And the last two, actually, have been um, some of my favorites. You know, yeah. there's some genuine suspense. This last one brought back the humor. Um, they didn't go over the top. I think they found a nice balance. And, yeah, the reboot doesn't make sense. Well, that's like, studio thinking, hey, people are really interested in this thing again. Let's start over from scratch. <laughs> I don't, the, the reboot sounds more like um, horror, small soldiers. <laughs> which to be fair would be interesting if it was that i'd be totally into it that movie's terrifying <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to like how do you sell chucky to a modern audience i i feel like you would have to go the route of oh he it's not voodoo it's it's like bad ai or something dumb and i, I just don't feel like people are that into killer dolls with doom mythology you can kind of get away with the old one because horror fans just love Brad Dourif. Right, and and, that, and and the original franchise is part of our, you know, as fucked up as it sounds, is part of our childhood. It's certainly part of our teen years. And, you know, the, the story has been continuing on for decades now through, you know, through my life. And the, the idea of, like you said, you know, hitting reset right when everyone gives a shit. Yeah, um, breaking the streak, like Chucky has the best streak of any franchise. We're at like what? seven movies. Original continuity, everything is canon. The, second, the second one to that is Tremors, and even at, I'm at the point now where it's like, yeah, you could, you could probably get away with rebooting Tremors. Oh, sure, or just never making another one, and I'd be fine with that. That, that could be okay. Right. Or Greenlight That not Show. On Tremors, just I think it's ran its course. Yeah. yeah, or green light that show that was disappointing. I I, I wouldn't mind a, a TV. I think it's perfect storyline for a, a television series. Did you, we don't did have you to catch the trailer dead anymore? Uh, yeah. Did you happen to catch the? Uh, they released a trailer for the first episode right after it was shit canned, and it was great. It was a hell of a trailer. It got me so excited for a show I'll never get to see. <laughs> right, right. You gotta love that. I love it when that happens. I don't understand how a studio could look at a Kevin Bacon centered project uh, for like sci-fi and be like, nah, that won't be a draw. <laughs> right. Man, Bacon is the biggest star who would have ever graced the sci-fi channel. <laughs> I don't know. They got some pretty big names for some of their made for TV movies back in the day. <laughs> like all of the cast of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the folks at home, please watch F. Murray Abraham in sci-fi channel presents blood monkey. It's delightful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, to try and bridge us back into Cabin in the Woods, one of the other things I absolutely adore about this film is the idea that this works as a sequel to every other horror film ever made. Like, you can easily make a headcanon where you can explain any horror movie by saying, oh, this year they happened to let the Blair Witch out of the basement, and that's what they're dealing with now. That's true. That's that's very true. And, and it explains, like, all of the um, tired tropes that I personally never got tired of. Um, but... <laughs> 
you know, they, they explain them perfectly. So for those that felt like it was growing weary because there's a back ground, you know, because there's now some uh, backstory and an explanation to that, it, you know, shitty horror movies all of a sudden got a little less shittier. Every time a cell phone doesn't work, you just assume there's a shady government agent <laughs> with a blocker somewhere. That's right. For some reason, that's the one that always gets me, cell phones. <laughs> I don't even know why. Cause it's, there's some horror movies where they don't even mention phones, and I'm perfectly cool with it. The second someone has to mention they don't have a signal, then I'm mad. Drag me to hell, still the best. Magic. Magic, yes. But you know what this means? <laughs> the implication is that every stupid character in a bad Friday the 13th sequel was a completely normal, straightforward person <laughs> before the events of those films. That's really depressing. Oh, they <laughs> fucked up with Crispin Glover then. Oh, God, we overdosed him. <laughs> Look at him dance. I'm just imagining they're in the control room watching Crispin Glover, and they're like, what did you do? And I was like, we couldn't do anything about that one. That's just how it is. Oh, let's not even get started on what they did to poor Tommy Jarvis. He's still trying to bounce back. <laughs> but the mythology here, in, in my mind, is just one of the most fun in any horror film out there. Just, just think in the background... There has to be a professional monster wrangler who's like major in college with Cenobites to be the one guy who can get Fornicus into his cage and out of his cage when need be. Like there are special monster handlers in this world who know all the different monster factoids, like a kid reading a dinosaur dictionary, you know? <laughs> right. Prequel, I want to say. <laughs> it's, it's in my mind just such a great concept. And it's almost a shame that we have to split between the control center and the, the standard horror movie because both halves are so fun. For once, they gave us a group of kids that I'm really excited for, and I don't want to see any of them die. I, I don't know when it became standard in horror films to kind of pad out your numbers with a lot of douchey characters. But this one, I mean, there's some douchey moments. They kind of mess with a few of the characters the more the movie goes on. But by and large, they all kind of defy their stereotypes, and you feel a lot for these guys. So it actually means something when they get stabbed or crashed into a wall or whatever else bad thing happens to him. No, I, I completely agree. And I think that um, it also makes other character, characters kind of tying it back to what you were saying before. Um, now more, um, you, you can sympathize with them easier because you realize when they become their douchey selves, it's, you know, it's because the pheromones hit them. And, but, but this, you know, my favorite parts of the movie are actually, um, this, the scenes with Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford in the control room. Ah, Those so are my good. favorite parts of the movie. And I really wish this was two movies or even a trilogy, but I say that with every awesome movie I see, cause I just want more, you know, no matter what it is, I'm like, ah, if I can wish that was a trilogy, <laughs> you know, but uh, um, I wouldn't complain this if that was the a, case here. Right. I think they could have easily, uh, definitely too, like you said, kind of like even expanding more on the two separate stories. And, and um, I, I did love, you know, the the group of five for the cabin in the woods, uh, great, perfect casting, uh, you know, awesome performances, but just, and then going back and forth was entertaining between the two. But every time they cut away from the control room, I just wanted, I wanted more witty banter between, you know, Steve and Gary. God damn. <laughs> Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford. You, you <laughs> can't get a better team than that. Seriously. I, I want to see them as buddy cops and something. <laughs> right. Bubbling I, I secret agents. They need to I do the this. Abbott and Costello deal. We just have those two doing everything they can think of for the next 10 years. Just meeting all kinds of wolfmen. I love the story Goddard tells about where all that comes from. <laughs> just watching The Breakfast Club as an adult and realizing to his horror 
that he relates to the principal. Just, ah! <laughs> that horrible moment when you realize, God damn it, Ferris Bueller, quit skipping class, you asshole. How are you paying for all this? <laughs> right. You are damaging that poor man's car. That's not yours. <laughs> right. He treated Cameron so badly. It's true. I think that's what the real lesson here. The monster isn't the man. It's Ferris Bueller, the boy. Mm. Children is what I'm getting at. Children are the worst. Right. right. Seriously. Yeah, Ferris Bueller <laughs> is like the Zach Morris of that time. He's entertaining to watch, and then decades later, you look back, you're like, you know, he, he really is just an asshole, a sociopathic asshole. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine the glass cases open up, and then teenage Matthew Broderick walks out, looks, <laughs> looks at the camera, and is like, well, life's coming at you fast. <laughs> but as long as we're talking about the cast here, Richard, uh, Richard, Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford, goddamn, what a power team. But then you also have Chris Hemworth, like, before he was one of the biggest stars out there. He's not Thor at this point. He's just a nobody. And boy, they must have felt so lucky to get that guy. Oozing uh, charisma. <laughs> just comedy Hemsworth at that. The best Hemsworth. That's oh, true. Yeah. Uh, Sigourney Weaver is in there just for that little extra pinch of professionalism. Back when she did cameos in the third acts of uh, genre <laughs> films. As the hey, same look, character, I think. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, uh, Fran Kranz, I think, takes the MVP for me. I just love the, the Marty character so much. Oh, the God. best Shaggy. The best Shaggy, <laughs> yes. hands down. Absolutely. And I, I was reading about that awesome bong he has in the movie. You know, the oh, coffee yeah. cup bong. Yeah. Th that costs them six figures to design and make. <laughs> that, I was yeah. telling the guys just the other day when I rewatched it. When I was a kid, it broke my heart that you couldn't get hoverboards like in Back to the Future 2. As an adult, right. I am heartbroken yes. that that is not for mass consumption. Right. That's actually how I found out because I Googled it. I'm like, I must, I, you know, I don't like to smoke out of metal. Not good for you. But um, that's just too badass to, to pass up, especially if it's a functioning coffee cup. Right. And, and yeah. you know, so I Google and I'm like, okay, I don't see any that I can purchase, but read about it. And I had no idea it was such an expensive, you know, project, but hats off. Six figures, they've got to get those out there. They've got to make their money back. And if you right. can buy a tactical flashlight, then you should be able to buy a tactical <laughs> bomb. Seriously. Today is uncertain tomorrow. Guys, this is what Kickstarter was designed for. We've got a mission in life now. Seriously. Yeah, I'm a little tired of these GoFundMes for cancer bills and hospital bills. Let, let's, let's put something towards something you know tangible we can own that will benefit us on a daily basis. We'll just combine the two. We'll say it's only for medical marijuana. <laughs> or fun. <laughs> right. or, and or fun. <laughs> Whatever comes first. Oh, and I had also, I, had, um, I, I would love to be professional enough to have written something down to say, to quote it, you know, but we'll just take my word and Google it. But I, um, I read the other day that they were actually considering Jamie Lee Curtis before Sigourney Reaver, uh, Weaver oh. for that role. The other and one? Right. <laughs> They're like, ah, oh, flip the fucking coin. Um, they should have just fucking, they should have shining it and had them both walk out hand in hand. Right. Oh my no, God. That would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. They should have avoided the obvious choice and go with like Quigley. <laughs> I'm bonkers. Linnea Quigley does not cameo in this movie. <laughs> they could get her for the Giver, but not Cabin in the Woods. 
I just love the behind the scenes story where they talk about Sigourney being on set and how like the one thing she wanted to know every day was if the Wolfman was going to be there because she wanted to like get her picture taken with the werewolf. <laughs> she was so pumped. Like she was at the lunch table with the werewolf. Like he looks lonely. Someone should have dinner with him. So she'd always be like the one guy who's like, come here, Wolfman. We're buddies. They're holding hands in like the special features. Weaver so, loves so taking photos with monsters. Who wouldn't? If I were in her shoes, I'd be doing oh, the God, same yeah. thing. Like, there's a yeah. wolfman, there's a mummy, there's a scarecrow. Holy shit. Oh, it's my next 10 profile pictures on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> in a world where so many celebrities suck, it warms my heart that Sigourney Weaver is exactly who you want Sigourney Weaver to be. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And that, and with that wolfman, I could easily argue is the best wolfman in modern uh, oh, cinema. It's it too good amazing. to be amazing. Oh, yeah, by far. Right. Right. I mean, half those, more than half are just like, you know, you had mentioned before, um, Cody, that like, you know, each of these monsters could have just had their own standalone film. I mean, they were just done so well, you know, even the knockoffs oh, yeah. of the obvious, like they have a fake Michael Myers in there somewhere I spotted one time, you know, <laughs> masked killer. I'm like, oh, I, I don't care. He'd probably be scarier than half the shit they're putting out now anyways. Well, God, the Buckner family has the oh. attention given to them that you would give to the actual monster of a movie. And I love the number that. of right. zombie movies out there, too. The fact that they somehow found an original way to portray a rotting zombie family. Right. Fantastic. They could have just mailed in and been like, well, we're, we're kind of playing on zombies. Just make them look like they've got gray skin or throw in some CGI rot. And instead, these guys really look like they're just made of rotting dirt and soil. And it's just amazing how earthy they look. And it's such a different way of going about zombies than most of the other ones we've seen. I love them so much. To say nothing of the weaponized bear trap. Yes. I love that. Oh, my God. Her yes. flying guillotine. It's <laughs> so good. Also, it's like just... the Sawyer family died and became zombies. <laughs> I'm surprised that isn't like a sequel fighters. yet. We're like 19 <laughs> chainsaw movies in. How come we have not had zombie any of them? <laughs> right. Especially after the third uh, chainsaw massacre. That would have been a great direction to go at that point. This oh, is a, this is an aside, and I know I shouldn't get into it, but God damn it, I'm so confused by the timelines in the Texas Chainsaw franchise. People complain about, about Halloween, but that's the one that boggles my head. I can't I can't wrap my mind around it, and I've been trying. You know, it's one thing to have to Google like where the timeline is for these Star Wars stories, and totally understandable. The moment you have to start googling a timeline for a horror franchise, that franchise fucked up. The only thing you have to remember is. No matter what series, no matter if it's the original Texas Chainsaw, the sequels, the reboot, the other reboot, or the sequel to the other reboot, in all of the movies, they're working for the Illuminati. That's the one thing that's <laughs> that's what I choose to believe. <laughs> Next generation is the only have... one that tells the truth. I miss that whole scene where they have a giant dollar bill assembled out of bones in their basement. Right. It's the same cult that uh, Michael Myers is attached to. <laughs> They're in the same universe. They should really fuck with people in the new Michael Myers movie and have Thorn in there. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> See, that, that's, that's, my, that's my pastime. I want to make the ultimate fucking Halloween movie where everything is canon somehow. Genetic engineering, <laughs> Thorn, H2O, resurrection, everything. Right, the zombie the movies Tyler made somehow. Michael Myers, he's in there. It's like the like multiple universes that get slapped together. 
Oh, and they have to fight. <laughs> Someone get me Ken Watanabe. <laughs> As the new Loomis. Oh, God. Oh, could you imagine that? I would that? pay money for that. That'd be fantastic. Why didn't anyone think of that beforehand? Him saying, I shot him six times would be incredible. <laughs> the Gravitas. I always Damn. wanted to know what uh, Vincent Price would have been like as Dr. Loomis in the original Halloween and how that would have completely altered that mask. Oh, God. <laughs> that would have been amazing. How would you turn it eyes. down? <laughs> Loomis. The boogeyman. <laughs> That's it. That's Scott. He'd be like kind of joking when he says the boogeyman. Like he's in on the joke. Like he's the one who unleashed him. Like what the fuck is up here, Loomis? Constantly yeah. breaks the fourth wall. <laughs> Imagine that last scene. Was that the boogeyman? <laughs> yes, I believe it was. <laughs> the end question mark. He shows up on the scene. He pulls a revolver out of a tiny coffin like it's a prop. God damn it, Vincent Price, get out of here! This is not a laughing matter. Children are dead. Again. Why did you get to the scene where she finds the tombstone in her bed and Price pops up from behind it? Set dressing. He's wearing a purple cape. <laughs> Why are we just turning him into Vincent Van Gogh? <laughs> because he is. <laughs> All right, whatever. <laughs> That's what he would have wanted. I'm sure Vincent Price's last words were, "Remember me as Spooky." <laughs> so I could see it. And then he put on a record of spooky, scary skeletons and shackled off this mortal coil. <laughs> While playing the organ. <laughs> right. As long as we're discussing the idea of Vincent Price invading our favorite horror films, <laughs> I want to take a moment to recognize what a hard and rare feat it is that Kevin in the Woods manages to be equal parts funny and scary, because almost no movies can walk that tightrope. It's it's so hard. Either you're going to be funnier than you are scary, or you're going to be scary enough where no one cares about the jokes. And in mm. this one, you, you still care about the characters. There's deeply upsetting stuff. There's surprise scares. They have tension. And yet, it's still hilarious. Uh, I think the best scene to, to exemplify this is when Jules makes out with the taxidermy wolf. Like, the whole time that happened, the first time I watched that, I was just expecting this to be some sort of trap. Like, I was on the edge of my seat. But it's also the fact that a girl is making out to a rubber wolf tongue while uh, I believe Iggy Pop is playing in the background. <laughs> like, it's such a great joke, but it also sets you on edge. And very, very, very few films, I think, can say they pull off scenes like this. It's amazing. I really love it. And it's just a scene that would unironically been in a, be in a horror movie made a couple of years before. <laughs> right. Right, but not done as well. Got watch Marcus Nispel's Friday the 13th remake and then watch Cabin in the Woods. It's hilarious. <laughs> and uh, going back to the um, scares being, um, you know, as effective as the laughs, uh, usually when I see a movie based on jump scares, they might get me the first time around. I'm good to go after that, you know? Yeah. Every time I watch this, like, I always forget about one of them, and it gets me every time. 
and, and like, oh shit, forgot, you know, that's when the zombie chick shows up or whatever it is. Yeah. And it, it's just done so well. And you're right, you actually care about these characters. And that's kind of a mind fuck too, though, because ultimately it would be the people in the control rooms that we should be rooting for if our end game is for the world to survive and the people we love and know <laughs> to survive. You know, there's this weird balance or, or this argument in my head where it's like, you know, I'm kind of cheering for these young people to um, overcome. But at the same time, do I really want them to? Because otherwise, who knows? A giant hand could come out and just start wrecking shit. Yeah, I think, I think that's what's interesting about why Cabin in the Woods needs all the credit in the world for finding an original way to make a meta horror film. Which, yeah, it deconstructs, you know, the the slasher picture, but it actually deconstructs the audience of a slasher movie, first and foremost. Yeah. So it's it's why you end up going, I don't want these characters to die, even though it means my abject doom. Like, it's, a, it's essentially saying, you're really bloodthirsty that you enjoy seeing these characters' lives ruined <laughs> and suffer horribly and then die painfully. Like, it actually ends up playing more realistically. <laughs> And, and at the end of the movie, they even bring up the point that it doesn't what matter. It doesn't matter what happens to the virgin as long as she suffers, which is a really introspective point for the film to make to the audience. Like, hey, you don't really care what the end result is. You just want to make sure people have a bad time. And yeah. in the, the realm of this film, it means they don't care if she lives. They don't care what happens to her after she is useful. They're using her up and throwing her out. And one of my favorite points, the uh, uh, director made on the, the special features is talking about one of his main goals being he wanted you to be conflicted. He wanted you to cheer for both sides simultaneously. And how, how weird is that to be able to say truthfully, I want both sides to win, even though their goals are completely opposite of each other. Like when the cave is collapsing, you really, really want them to get the van out of the cave before they're crushed by rocks. But you also want to make sure that, you know, everything goes according to plan for the guys in the control room because we're all going to die otherwise. <laughs> You get Richard Jenkins' big hero scene. <laughs> yeah, make a hole! <laughs> I thought he was the most polite man who needed to frantically get somewhere. I would have just been plowing people over and, and he'd make a hole, gently squeezing in between. <laughs> like, the world's at stake and he's being polite. Well, he has to work with these people, Carter. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm coming through. <laughs> What's the point in saving the world if you get frozen out by your friends a week later? <laughs> that's that's true. And he's clearly a lonely man in the film. <laughs> he needs as many friends as he can get. He has only Steve to comfort him. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, I wish I had a clever segue for this, but I wanted to make sure we mention um, my, one of my favorite parts. One of my favorite lines is when, you, you know, the would-be final girl is surviving, um, much to their surprise. Um, of course, uh, that's um, uh, what's her name? Connolly. Yeah, and Kristen Connolly, right. Dana. And he's like, wow, I have to admire, you know, her heart. And then she has such courage. And then all of a sudden he's like giving a tribute to this young woman who's bloodied and battered. And he's like, tequila's my lady, my lady tequila. And to this day, every time I do a shot of tequila, I have to say. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's even better because on the commentary for the film, Josh Whedon and <laughs> Drew Goddard are talking to each other and they're like, I have no idea what this means, but I really like how he said it. <laughs> <laughs> apparently he just started ad-libbing stuff and they're like it works sure tequila's your lady i guess and 
to his credit, that's what I always want to shout out now when I'm getting plastered. I think it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Absolutely. That is your lady of the hour. <laughs> right there. That's her, yeah, that's your lady of the night. But uh, to, to spin that, even though they didn't understand it, they knew audiences would play with it. And that's my favorite part of the film overall. They trusted the audience to get with them on all these concepts and to roll with things. And it doesn't feel like something that was noted to death by the studio at any point. It feels like they're trying to do something different. It feels like they're trying to do something original. They're not going to string us out and say, hey, in the third act we're going to reveal there was a secret complex with these guys running the monsters. They're very upfront about that. We have dual plots where you kind of are let in on the action pretty early. And I love that idea that they're they're mostly up front while still kind of shrouding it in mystery, but they're not holding anything back from you, really. They're trusting the audience to go, okay, I don't quite get it, but if I pay attention for context for another 10 minutes, it's it's going to start clicking for me. And that amount of trust is phenomenal. You don't see that too often, I feel like. I feel like because they place that trust in the audience, that's how they get away with something as ridiculous as, oh yeah, this is all to appease the older gods. <laughs> <laughs> or having uh, the crazy Ralph character actually have like a weird speakerphone moment. <laughs> oh, my favorite or, part. That is wonderful. All the scenes with the oh my God, Harbinger so are funny. just so good. And it, they, they just feel so authentic to horror films. Like they're lovingly poking fun at them while kind of saying this is ridiculous, but this is a thing we enjoy. So we're not going to shame it. Right, and then it makes every uh, like character in other movies. Um, I, I think it brings a new humor to them because I always picture him making a phone call now to Bradley Whitford and being put on speakerphone. <laughs> <laughs> and then he breaks do, his own right? character. <laughs> you know, am I on speakerphone? That's just rude. You know, <laughs> and then he goes back into the creepy character. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and again, for such a minor character, a guy has essentially two scenes. But he's such a memorable part of the film. That's amazing. How many movies can boast having that many iconic moments and wonderful characters? Even even like Raul the Intern, who gets something like five lines, is memorable mm. to me. I shouldn't remember any intern's name, let alone one in a fictional movie. <laughs> I will never forget the one dude who got those two concert tickets to that girl who just will not give him the time of day. <laughs> that is just a 15 second movie in the middle of the third act of this <laughs> those wonderful little details it makes everything feel so fleshed out and not real I, I don't want to say anything in this movie feels real but it feels authentic which is a huge distinction in my mind and I love it when movies are smart enough to go we don't have to shoot for a real aesthetic but we want to make you feel like this is acceptable yeah, I think so a lot of people get confused on those points it's so great that this movie never has that moment of breaking the fourth wall completely and just winking at the camera and saying, oh, we're poking fun at horror tropes. Like, it all feels so <laughs> genuine in-universe. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think the closest they come to, and, and they they don't do this, I, mean, I love the scene, but I think the closest they come to breaking the fourth wall or maybe giving, um, walking that line of too much of a wink is when we're watching um, Anne Hutchison, Jules, you know, undress and they, you know, they um, needlessly show her breasts and he's like, we're not the only ones watching, which was almost just a, it was almost too on the nose of saying the elder gods or the audience, you know, it's an allegory for us, the horror fans who want more and they're not the only, 
and um, but I thought it was a good balance. I'm glad they kept it in. But I think that's the closest they came of, of where it's like, ooh, that you know that that could have been just a bit too much. Like you know, we've got to be able to connect some dots. But um, yeah. Yeah, they I did think soften they the blow a little bit there though with that comedy beat right after with your your you know uh, Jenkins basically saying your human desires disgust me. Get out of here. Even though right. they were all watching it together that little comedy beat i think really sells that moment so you don't think too hard on are they directing me a little too much right yeah for sure absolutely they, they always seem to have that balance throughout this you know whole film where it, there's not too many horror scenes back to back not too much comedy back to back the way they they spread out the ingredients is, is just so brilliant and spot on that said i would not have been opposed to like a young frankenstein beat where they just have a close-up on Fornicus looking <laughs> side to side before he kills somebody. <laughs> oh, Fornicus, you scamp. <laughs> you lord of bondage and suffering, you. <laughs> you swole pinhead. So Fornicus. <laughs> that, that can be the spinoff. That's so Fornicus. That's <laughs> so Fornicus. You've been looking Just for a way to do a line. sequel. Yes, that's it. I do feel like Fornicus has a good sense of humor. <laughs> you almost have to, to be able to dress as suave as he does with blades coming out of your head. You can say I'm always on the cutting edge. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they should do a sequel where uh, Fornicus just does Schwarzenegger one-liners. <laughs> I can't believe the pin the, the Hellraiser movies never got to that point where they just made Pinhead Freddy. It's <laughs> kind of amazing, yeah. Hellraiser three came close. Yeah, that's true. Wasn't well, three is the one where there's a Cenobite that actually has like a video camera for a head, right? Yeah, it's a cameraman Cenobite. There's a DJ Cenobite. He 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 throws CDs. <laughs> And, th- yeah. and, and like, oh, there's also a bartender Cenobite who does like Molotov cocktails. <laughs> Everybody comes to pay. You know, you can almost pick out the year of each movie depending what they have. You know, like DJ <laughs> CDs, you can just start guessing, you, you know, like right off the bat. You just know like Breaking 2 had to have been released around then. <laughs> I like how you can follow that up until Hell World. Released in 2000, where evil goes online. Oh, God. <laughs> God. Such a shit franchise. And now they've got unnecessary reboots, so it's really the full spectrum of horror. Right. I still gotta watch Judgments. I've heard, I've heard kind things about Judgment, but I, I think that might just be the bar's been set so low. Yeah, I don't think better than Revelations counts as kind. <laughs> I still have nightmares about Revelations. It doesn't look like a Cinemax porno. <laughs> it's Hellraiser. It kind of should. Pinhead's not out of shape in this one. <laughs> oh, oh, pain. <laughs> his brows like beating with sweat <laughs> uh, he can barely even throw the chains anymore Pinhead, what happened to you is it the booze the women I, I never realized till this moment that I I want to see Pinhead Doug Bradley Pinhead not, 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 hell, not revelations out of shape Pinhead eat a cupcake <laughs> I would like to see Doug Bradley Pinhead eat a tiny mini cupcake. Is this a normal cupcake, like pink frosting, or is this at least like Halloween themed cupcake? It's blue. Like our... It's specifically blue. Okay. 
<laughs> and then does he scream a unicorn and stick it on someone's forehead? <laughs> <laughs> it's Butterball. <laughs> See, I like the idea of Pinhead just walking into his kitchen after like working out or something. And then on the kitchen counter is a single cupcake. And he's like, no, no, <laughs> Colonel, no, you, you have discipline. You've been doing good. And then he, he just breaks and just tearfully eats it. Oh, it's going right to my exposed thighs. <laughs> no one tell my endocrinologist. <laughs> Today will be my cheat day. <laughs> do we we gotta work on this we gotta have like a good button we can just push and immediately go into like a voice modification for pinhead mm. i feel like it'd be so much easier to make those jokes like your calories will be legendary even in hell i can't do it but if i had a button <laughs> i do kill myself doing it good that's only fair like the virgin you must suffer uh, that's the only reason we have this pod show. Uh, pod show. Pod show. <laughs> pod show. This that's what all the production. kids call it. God damn it! <laughs> you want to be hip, don't you, Mike? You want to be hip? That's what all the kids are listening to these days. Pod shows on their YouTubes and their video phones. Why do I imagine you dress like Ed Sullivan? <laughs> so, Cody, your father and I were wondering where can we listen to your pod show. Uh, backslash backslash I don't know why that's the voice I settled on for their son, but we're stuck with it now. <laughs> for their son. <laughs> this fictional other me that exists in that joke. Yes. yes. I decided he's from the Midwest. <laughs> he's not Minnesotan this time. He's a, he's a little more Iowan. <laughs> this is a stupid podcast. Yes, it is, but we love it. So, is... <laughs> As long as we're talking about what we love, back to the show. Segway done. Mike Goddard, what a guy. Um, It's amazing to me that he had this movie. They filmed like 2009, but because of different issues with the studios, it didn't come out to 2012. He's not directing another movie until this year. We've got uh, Bad Times at the El Royale coming out, and that seems like such a shame. We haven't gotten this guy to do like 10 other horror movies in the meantime. If I had my way, he would be like locked in a basement just penning horror movie after horror movie. Oh, absolutely. It shocked me that he's, um, I mean, he, he's really only got a handful of titles and he's mainly a screenwriter. Yeah. You know, I think he's directed um, two features, not including the bad times at El Royale. And I think he's only executive produced one film, which was Tin Cloverfield Lane. And he, everything he touches seems to be gold. Yeah. Um, I know I liked World War Z. I love the Cloverfield movies for the most part, you know. Um, Let's not talk about uh, the, the latest one, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the comma for the most part. Yeah, things were going pretty well. But boy, third parts are always hard. Goddard actually was supposed to be working on a Sinister Six movie. And because of Sony being incapable of handling the Spider films, that fell apart. Uh, he was apparently supposed to direct The Martian originally and... Because of that, he, he jumped over. He was going to do the Sinister Six, which prevented him from directing the Martian. Then that fell apart and nothing. So, God damn it, Sony. I'm very upset. But and also... He, had, he left Dare, Daredevil. So this that a non-existent movie destroyed several things. Well, it didn't like destroy Daredevil. But... All of that. And instead, our, our runner-up prize is Venom, which better be pretty good. But I do not have a lot of faith. Anna Craven, the Hunter film. 
Which, you know what? Fine. Until I see production stills, I'm not going to believe that exists. If you're going to take away a villain... We are getting Jared Leto as a vampire, so... Oh, God, I already forgot that was a thing that was happening. God. See, I was sore about Venom, but if after that they're just going to take the stupid villains, I kind of want to see that. (laughs) Stilt Man, the movie. (laughs) Hey, whatever it takes to get the jackal. (laughs) Uh, Does anyone have any major points they want to touch on that we haven't got to yet? I'd like to talk about um, probably the first uh, reference, um, aside from, I guess, the Cabin in the Woods title itself in the film, is when when he mentions how it all went south in 1998 because of um, the chemistry lab or because of the chemists. And a reference to the faculty because all five members of them survived. Oh, (laughs) shit. I've always thought that was a reference to something. I love right. that. Yeah, it's, it seems like they got to be yeah. pointing at some movie. That makes perfect sense, though, because that always I actually really connected weird. that for the first time last night when I um, revisited it. And, and like so many, probably everyone on this call, I, I feel like I watch this movie once every couple of months. You know, and I just bought the 4K version last night. Oh. It's really out on it. I'm so and, jealous. Um, oh, it's great. It was on Fandango Digital, like in 4K, and I'm like, fuck it. You know, let's do it. And, and it's beautiful. But I, I watching it last night, probably because I revisited the faculty uh, not long ago to throw it on one of my horror lists. Like I finally connected the dots of what that reference was. Because you're right. It kind of seems like every time I would see that, I'm like, that's got to reference something. Yeah. You know, it's just it's so specific. And it's right at the beginning of the film and just the characters deliver it. So, yeah, that I just thought that should be mentioned because it's just so awesome. You well, know, they fit in everything yeah and the faculty is such a, an anomaly anyways because what the, there, there's two teachers that die or something like that in that movie everyone everyone else pretty much recovers at the end it's like <laughs> right. john stewart dies <laughs> wait a second does that mean in the glass cases somewhere is a well-dressed john stewart <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome oh that's gonna weird me out somehow i never really connected the dots on that one but it makes perfect sense because, yeah, how many other major horror films can you say, like, oh, yeah, all of the main characters survive and the body count is that small? And it's not a right. complaining point either. The faculty is still an enjoyable movie. Absolutely. Yeah, partly for that reason, I think. You know, it's um, fun horror is my favorite type of horror. I mean, I, I love all subgenres of horror, most subgenres. I'm not big into the torture porn stuff outside of yeah. Saw. Um, but. You know, I appreciate a really good creepy film that sticks to your skin after the credits roll, like The Witch. Love mm-hmm. that movie. But things like Scream, Cabin in the Woods, even Halloween is my my all-time favorite. Like, when there's uh, some humor in there and, and when it feels like just fun, uh, I'm into it. And, and the faculty um, was kind of refreshing because you still got the macabre fix, but you didn't have to watch 100 people. You know, you could spare yourself 90 minutes to not see 100 people slaughtered in a horror film. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like I'm the same way. I definitely the same. Like Hereditary, The Witch, I love those films. But every once in a while, more often than not, actually, boy, I love popping in something like Trick or Treat. That's, you know, nice. if you can have some jokes in there and leave the theater feeling like, oh, that was scary. But also I had a very good time. What more could you ask? Exactly. Exactly. So I think we're, we're pretty close to wrapped up here. But before we go, I'm dying to know, what's everyone's favorite monster that they saw in the movie? Hmm. I would have to say the uh, werewolf slash wolfman. That, that is that probably just because it was. I, I've never seen a better one. 
Uh, such a good design. And just the idea, it's a guy in a suit with green screens like around his leg and stilts, so he gets the right wolf leg action. Simple, but <laughs> so effective. Right. It makes me really mad thinking back to the uh, uh, Benicio Del Toro Wolfman, like how often that just got replaced with CGI uh, or like the mouth doesn't quite close the way it should. It's like, <laughs> oh. So close. So close. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I'm going to lose some street cred for going with such an obvious one instead of like something in the background. But if I'm being honest, the merman. Oh, oh my God. Man. The most beautiful character. Oh, to ever can we talk the about that scene? Yeah. We need to. What oh a wonderful God. Chekhov's gun. Oh, that, that was beautiful. And, and just Bradley um, Whitford delivered that line perfectly. <laughs> you know, he's like, <laughs> where he finally sees his merman. <laughs> what is, what, of course, I mentioned his line now, I won't get it right. But what does he say? Like, really? Or are you kidding me? The look of disappointment on his face when uh, Kurt picks up that conch shell and he's about to blow into it and he doesn't. <laughs> I just thought that was great. What a great way to fuck with the audience's expectations, that is, too. Because the entire time you're picturing a beautiful fucking Jason Momoa merman. And then when you see it, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess that is what a merman would look like. (laughs) No one else is going to make a merman like this. This horrible, wide-faced, toothy, grim motherfucker. (laughs) Where's his movie? (laughs) I also, I'm pretty sure this is how Cody's going to die, but it's going to be Ghostface. <laughs> with, with just triumphant score. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, on the other side, I wouldn't even be mad. That's not an oh, come on moment for me. That's like a yes, finally. I guess it's either that or Ma- Matthew Lillard just hits Cody with his car accidentally. <laughs> Holy shit, that'd be even better. Oh my god, if that happens, I want someone to take his license plate and just put that on my tombstone. <laughs> oh god, and he was on his way to record lines for a new Scooby-Doo cartoon. <laughs> all I, hope your I, are so I hope he just backs over me and keeps going to the studio. It's too important to slow <laughs> down. Shaggy can't wait. Not for Cody's corpse. <laughs> I, I love the idea of Matthew Lillard referring to himself as Shaggy. <laughs> and in the third person. Right, like The Rock. <laughs> Every time he's in like a, a Culver's or something, like, Shaggy gotta eat, and then he orders himself a hamburger. That's that's how I want Matthew Lillard to be in my mind. Uh, Soinks. <laughs> Soinks. <laughs> Alright, so we've got Wolfman, we've got Merman, what other man are we throwing in here? I have to go with an unexpected choice, which is the Jersey Devil. At least the monster I've always taken as the Jersey Devil is the giant bat creature. Mm. Oh, okay. I never thought of that, but that is what that that would be. Uh, I think, like, I think on the board they might mention some specific kind of bat, but who knows? It might as well be the Jersey Devil. That's my headcanon. It's probably, like, ten giant bats in the background anyway, so how would you know? That's Kevin. Right. 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 Well, I know the devil, um, one of the theories is that it's connected to the devil bat, 1940. Um, yeah. Uh, referring, you know, Dr. Uh, Carruthers' gigantic creatures. Yeah. Um, but I like that concept a lot better. 
And it also reminds me of um, the, the dragon creature we saw in, uh, what was it? Uh, Wesley Snipes' film, The Vampire Blade, similar to uh, the creatures in Blade. Yeah. Yeah. Because the mouths move uh, to the side the same. Yeah, I never noticed it has a reaper mouth. That's such a weird, interesting design. They just threw in there for two shots. <laughs> right. All the monsters, I'm telling you, the design work is absolutely stunning. And they had to have known a lot of these guys are probably just going to be background monsters. And yet, it's not like typical movies where you have a lot of zombies or something and half of them are just wearing masks in the background. All of these guys are designed to the nines. It's fantastic. Except the clown. I just, okay, I want to get to the clown in a second. I just (laughs) opened the the visual guide. I just opened it to the uh, the board. And there's a thing called a dragon bat mentioned. And I think that might be the Jersey Devil Bat. But who knows? They also mentioned the Sugar Plum Fairy, and I guess that might be the ballerina with the uh, teeth for a face? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, One fun fact about that uh, clown, though, I found out today. Uh, The clown was portrayed by the film's movement coach, which probably explains why that's the creepiest goddamn clown (laughs) I have ever seen in my life. (laughs) Like, the way the thing moves, and it's got that laugh as he's stabbing people oh my god that's the worst clown that one needs this movie that's that's my pennywise yes yes Uh, i love tim curry to death you know i want to get a clue tattoo with wadsworth uh (laughs) big fan of tim curry but that uh was at least much scarier than the first it television adaptation i don't want to knock the new it but, but that clown was utterly creepy I also think it's funny every time someone makes a horror film with the clown, they say it's because everyone finds clowns creepy. I think we find clowns creepy because they've made horror movies with clowns. I've never understood. Like, my great-grandma had a clown collection. We'd go to her basement, and it was covered in clowns, and it scared ah. the shit out of me as a five-year-old. <laughs> I don't understand how, like, back in the 1940s, people were like, clowns, that's good wholesome entertainment. Because you saw them far away. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, 50 of them getting out of a Volkswagen Beetle at the circus is just different than, you know, chewing a kid's arm off. Yeah, uh, although I did see once a, a real-life clown car at a bank. Uh, <laughs> Go you know, on. We, my mom had to use an ATM, so we were pulled over at the bank. And this van pulls up, and it's not a big van. It's like a little tiny, tiny van. And the door is open. And more clowns got out of it than it should have been able to hold. Oh, uh, were they making a clown deposit? I don't remember what most of them were Please doing. tell me they robbed it. No, no. A bunch of them sat on the sidewalk while, like, one went inside for business. And they all started smoking. And uh, this is just an image this that's been in my brain for Why years. Why the fuck have you never told this story? It's, it's a memory that's haunted me for years. Just seeing, like, 20 clowns pile out of a van, one go in to cash a check or something from clown college. Mm. And and just seeing, like, three clowns sitting on the curb just... <sighs> in the middle of summer, so they're all sweaty, nasty clowns. And they're smoking away, and all of them just look like they want to die. How old were you? I was pretty young. I was under 10. I, I was probably, like, 8 or 9 years old. That was the day the magic died for Cody? It was probably the day the magic was born. I got to see 20 clowns pile out of a minivan. <laughs> this was like the day that Tom Waits was born inside of me. <laughs> That's a Tom Waits song brought to life. 20 clowns smoking on the curb, a uh, hennepin in 19th Avenue. 
<laughs> you, you can actually define your life from before that moment happened <laughs> and after that moment occurred. Before clown, after clown. <laughs> Do you think when the head clown went into the bank, it was like when Spider-Man tried to cash that check and they're like, hey, I don't know this is you. <laughs> and he had to leave. The check probably said like giggles on it or something, I'm assuming. <laughs> it just says the clown. Do you think I'm he tried signing it. with a rubber chicken? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just thinking though if the clowns tried to pull that stunt today after the dark night if a clown walks into a bank for any reason I'm sure they're immediately arrested like the bank locks down and the vault goes 10 feet underground or something I can't imagine that happening these times after 2016 I'm sure that happens if a clown walks into any building <laughs> right. we got him Right. That was apparently a big thing uh, in 2016 of innocent oh, yeah. clowns getting the shit kicked out of them because people mistook them for rogue clowns. Just clowns getting <laughs> just, blown yeah, away of... while it pleads, no, no, I just want to bring joy to children. <laughs> we had right. a lot of time on our hands before Trump. The best part is if you shoot a clown with a shotgun, he still makes that <laughs> noise as he dies. So uh, it's, it's still in, in jest for everyone. Just a napkin that goes on forever starts shooting out of his chest. <laughs> right. A big red handkerchief just starts spilling out for miles. Right. Endlessly. You know, it wasn't long ago for reasons I can't quite explain to you, but um, but this is just a, a glimpse behind the curtain to what goes on in my life. My girlfriend, myself, and my stepson, I'm divorced, nothing weird going on there, but I still see my stepson, he's like 15. We all have Star Wars onesies. <laughs> you know, um, she's Darth Vader. I, I'm Chewbacca simply because I'm the tallest. And um, Christian is a uh, stormtrooper. And we had to go inside Chase Bank before we went out to eat. <laughs> and as I'm walking through Chase Bank, and they all these onesies have hoods. So we're not wearing the hoods. Thankfully, because this story <laughs> might have ended differently. And we walk in and I have this brief thought. Actually, I think it was Lorraine, my girlfriend, who had the thought, you know, she, she's like, what if they think we're about to rob this thing? And luckily, like, the third manager was there and people started taking pictures with us. And so it went that way instead of the Channel 2 news way, which is great. Uh, but yeah, so I can imagine how the clowns would encounter. I'm know? just imagining a security guard talking into his walkie-talkie. We have a Moe Sisley. I repeat, we have a Moe Sisley. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you rob a bank in a, a, a Star Wars costume, I'm imagining immediately hijinks have to start happening and everyone's going to be chased around this bank. But instead of yakety sacks, it's going to be the most Isley Cantina theme. Just twenty minutes as you run in a circle, because uh, George Lucas would sue you <laughs> immediately. Right now, actually, I'm <laughs> Disney's uh, sent three emails to me, and they're getting more dangerous with each one. To have right. their server drones. The last one was just a picture of a bloody knife. I'm very concerned. We need to edit this out immediately. Right. Disney just contacted me, and they're afraid of a joke I may say that I haven't yet. So they're pulling. <laughs> this show is cut. They don't even fund us right now, but they pulled any funding we might get. Buy powder on Blu-ray. We now owe them $40,000. I don't know how. Right. You know, I've always wanted a criminal to insist himself being called, you know, some sort of famous baddie, you know, like, like someone just goes on a murder spree, but insists they call him Bane, 
and they want to speak to Chief Gordon. And that way, like, the newscasters just have to read that on the air. You know, Ben's struck again and is requesting to speak to Gordon. <laughs> if you're going that far, you have to get a camera in the place just so you can do your worst Bane impression. <laughs> We're going mobile! And, and just so you have to do as much of the Dark Knight Rises as you can before they shoot you in the face. God, that would be the biggest dick move as a criminal, doing hilarious crimes that are also horrible. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've told you guys about the pillowcase bandit, right? <laughs> you have, but not on the show. Okay, so this is going on the show. In uh, my college town, we would get a warning every year before we left for like Christmas vacation or whatever. The police would knock on everyone's door and warn students about the pillowcase bandit, who was a man like a Robin Hood type local legend, who apparently would break into people's homes while they were gone, rifle through their house, steal their pillowcases. And then fill the pillowcase, apparently, with whatever pocket change you had lying around your house. So he would only, those were the only things ever recorded being stolen by him, are all your pillowcases and all your spare change. But apparently he's been doing this for decades in Eau Claire. Like, he's just been <laughs> breaking into houses to steal pillowcases and chump change. Wow. He is Has the worst Batman villain. Like, when this happened and, like, any physical altercations or anything? No, not, no one's got a description of them, even. They just <laughs> came up with a name for a phenomenon, I think. <laughs> I mean, I would have calling them it's an urban legend. It's, it's, it's like, basically oh, Eau Claire's Mothman. It's all we've got. <laughs> Curse of the pillowcase <laughs> bandit. Unimpeachable <laughs> urban legend. <laughs> okay, I asked you this the first time you told us this story, and I'm going to ask you again. Cody, is this no. you? No, I, I I'm getting some serious reason. Bruce Wayne asking everyone what they think of Batman vibes, right? Now. <laughs> I mean, what gives the pillowcase bandit the right? You guys, uh, you guys think the pillowcase bandit's really handsome, right? If I had to describe him, I would say he's a handsome devil. No, I will go on record saying I am maybe not the pillowcase bandit, <laughs> oh. and there's nothing they could prove against me in court. <laughs> It's actually on the board if you look very closely, Cabin, uh, on the bottom right. Pillowcase <laughs> <laughs> Bandit, uh, Zoology, both uh, bets on him. See, that's a sequel idea that I feel like if this movie had killed at the box office, they could have gone for. Just remake the movie over and over, exact same cast, but they get different monsters each time. Oh, my God. I would mark out for that so bad. Going, going back to Clue, they just have different scenes. Like, instead of the zombies popping up, you've got your uh, robo-scorpions or your dragon bats. And different dark- characters are self-aware each time. <laughs> yeah, and they, they, they switch around. Like, the jock actually, re- you know, because uh, the one character was the jock, then the pheromone hits him and he becomes a nerd speaking Latin. And then the actual nerd, Hemsworth, becomes the jock. So they can switch around those, you, you know, characters. And then, um, you know, the uh, the closest thing they have to a virgin the, the virgin final girl can switch around with the other it'd be great and dark right now has two different endings out this might be a trend that's starting to kick up this just makes me think this would make an amazing board game where you get to play like a different jock or survivor or virgin each time <laughs> it's like friday the 13th the game story mode <laughs> they actually have a, a friday the 13th unofficial board game out uh the last friday i think it's called yep. it looks confusing but fun <laughs> Just like the Friday the 13th series. (laughs) (laughs) 
I did dive into the rules of that one time and just went cross-eyed. <laughs> there's a <laughs> lot. Of, there's a huge map for that game. I was very surprised that it was as sprawling as it is. That's why Jason doesn't talk. He's got all that shit in his head every time he's killing people. He's running algorithms. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we really do objectify Jason Voorhees too much. He's not just a serial killer. He's a mad he's savant. So- <laughs> right. He's, he's the man of, of death. Yeah. It's like if uh the guy from a beautiful mind was just a psychopath at nighttime and during <laughs> summer. Same diff. <laughs> Same Z's. Russell Crowe, give us a call. We've got a role for you. Got Jason just writing on wi- <laughs> windows with his machete. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this is score place. that's it that's they finally have the much needed plot for friday the 13th part 13 thank god we've cracked it it took a long time i was worried he's gonna be found footage but this way this is the way oh my god the real uber jason (laughs) jason goes to yale friday or jason goes to yeah (laughs) back to school Oh, Jason's a hit. Like, they put him in a tow gun. <laughs> he just becomes Bluto from Animal House. Instead of smashing guitars, he just picks up one guy and smashes another guy into him. They both explode into meat on the stairway. <laughs> Can we make this movie? I like it. Why not? Someone goes, hey, look, I'm a zit. And then just Jason smashes their head in with, like, cinder blocks. Smash your house! <laughs> Jason watching a girl undress on a ladder and then falling backwards. <laughs> 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 Surprise! It hasn't been in the main series yet. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> that that could have easily uh, fit into uh, Jason X. It really would have. That's funny. <laughs> I actually they have paintballs. I defend Jason X often. You know, I'll I'll stick that film. You know, I'll um. Put that on a list of, of underrated horror films sometime. I mean, it's ridiculously stupid, but I think it's so bad it's good. Only you know, so many movies get to murder David Cronenberg. Right? Oh, yeah. Jason X is not appreciated enough for being so self-aware of how stupid it is. Oh, it's a bad film. I have to say, I love how we started with the most vanilla take ever that The Cabin in the Woods is a good movie. And we're now going to end on horror's nuclear take of, God damn it, Jason X is a classic piece of <laughs> We took a 180 here. We should have led with this. People would have been man, tuned in. Man, I will go on record as saying the robot girlfriend in Jason X is one of the most underrated horror characters. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, she she actually squared off against Voorhees and it was believable as believable as anything in that franchise. But like, you know, it's like, okay, she could actually take Voorhees, you know, and she's really the final. God, when you think about it, like look at Jason's career as if he's an athlete. He's squared off against a psychic. He boxed a dude. He battled a, a robot in space. Right. Not to mention, you, you know, face um, uh, Freddy Krueger, another psychopathic killer. And he faced him in court in that unmade movie. <laughs> right. That was the best. I want to see Voorhees and Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, God. In custody of Chucky. 
<laughs> I just I'm sorry, a good doll home. boy. Oh, Custody of doll see. boy. They cannot get the rights. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one, I don't think I'm going to top that joke. Two, we've moved so far away from Cabin in the Woods, I don't think we can ever return. We had a topic. <laughs> we had somewhere in there, there was a topic, but it's long gone. It's gone to the ether. Goodbye, topic. <laughs> and with that, I think uh, <laughs> I think Cabin in the Woods goes back into the woods for another few months before we pull it back out and watch it for the 100th time. Uh, this has been Box Office Pulp. I've been your host, Cody. If you want to find more of us, you can find us by typing in Box Office Pulp online. Uh, we're on Facebook, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Twitter even. Just look us up. We're around. We don't hide. Carter, where's the best place to get a hold of you if you want to be found? Uh, you know, I, I love being found, and... Um... I, I often write horror articles for the Inquisitor. If you actually went to Inquisitor.com, and if you ever see a horror article on the front page there, that's nine times out of ten, that's mine. You can follow me on Twitter, the Carter Lee, and you can find me on my website, thecarterlee.com. If you just Google the Carter Lee, I had to do that because there's other Carter Lee. There's that one, the Virginia House delegates. That Carter Lee, he stole your Twitter title. Right, motherfucker. And some guy owns the the Carter Lee Lumber Company, and it's like there's action in the United States that owns a lumber company. So, yes, but yes, thecarterlee.com, the Carter Lee on Twitter. Same on Facebook. Um, I follow back. I, I would love if anybody uh, checked out my work, and I appreciate your guys' support and for having me on the show. This has been a blast. I'm a, a longtime fan of your podcast, and it's an honor that I was on. So thank you all for having me. Yeah, yeah thanks that's so wonderful. much for joining us, man. It's all our honor. Well, and I, I do have a question, though. Oh, God, I didn't do it. I already told you. So, <laughs> after that beautiful segue. Segue to end the show. Um, <laughs> I just have to ask. We were all going to name our favorite monsters, and I believe we only got three. Um, so someone hasn't named their favorite monster. Oh, that was me. Um, I felt like I cheated because I already mentioned several monsters before that. Uh, I am very, very, very partial to the imp goblin things that you see driving around the golf cart. Awesome. <laughs> Those guys look like they are having such a fun time. Like, they're murdering awesome. for joy. Everyone else is murdering out of like some sort of primal hate. These guys are just having a wonderful time. And I love right. If more people would murder out of joy, this world would be a better place. Those are those are like the because of the Joe Bob Briggs marathon. I'm thinking of the stupid uh, sorority girls at the slime ball bowlerama. <laughs> That's what these guys are in my mind, and they're just having a good old time. It's <laughs> awesome. Well, I hope everyone has sweet dreams of vicious imps. Uh, that's a wrap, everybody. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And like that, he's gone. Cody, don't hold back. Never do.
Somebody want to call a goddamn paramedic? This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show. There are a lot of issues that plague the comic book community at large that are really never kind of addressed. I think what the three of us really wanted to do was do a show where we explore all of that. And by the very hand of Odin himself, we now have <laughs> the seed of this podcast. Marvel's Odin. Does DC have an Odin? They must. I don't, th- I don't think so. Let's go with, like, Image Odin. Look, look, DC has Hercules, so he has to have something. Who doesn't have Hercules? Spawn. He has Angela, who's like Lady Hercules. Yeah, she is kind of Hercules-like. Can we still yeah. legally say Spawn has Angela? Have I just gotten us in trouble? Well, now that she's as Guardian, I think it's it's fair play. So hey, she's not technically as Guardian. Yeah, but she's Asgard's assassin. And she has, like, a weird new haircut. Have you seen Angela's new redesign? Look, we can get all into the pathos of Angela on another episode. That was just a little taste of graphic novelism. <laughs>